And I just kind of decided that day on my on that drive back from that work spot, Jen was in the front seat sitting next to me and my two two buddies in the back seat. They didn't notice a thing, you know? They're they're just as struggling. And we were all heading to the bar, like always, and uh Jen noticed something and you know, she's like, Hey, you gonna help carry my kit back to the to the hotel because we were parking the parking garage. I'm like, oh, I gotta make a phone call, and I always helped her. My buddy took off. She kind of wandered off looking at me, and I, I faked a phone call. And then as soon as everybody was out of sight, I pulled my pistol out and charged it. And for some reason, I thought, I'm just going to tell him he's late for something. I don't even know why, honestly, that came to me or how, but it was, you're late. And I got a text, you know, right back after that one saying, hey, I, you know, I'll be right down. Um, but, yeah, it's just a lot of people ask us, too, like, how do I save someone or how do I do something like that? And I'm like, I. I don't know, because for me, it was paying attention, seeing those flags. Welcome to Kick Cage. Welcome to another edition of the Kick Cage. And we are extremely honored today to have Tom and Jen Satterley on the show with us. How are you both this evening? Amazing. Doing really well. Thanks for having us. (laughs) It's absolutely my pleasure. Um, now, obviously, you two are doing some absolutely amazing things, um, highlighting PTS in veterans and service personnel. Uh, the pair of you have got some companies going, um, obviously all secure. And uh, you, Jen, you've got your own uh, little sideline going for helping wives of service personnel. Um, obviously, you are ex um, special operations uh, Delta Force operator, and you served in Mogadishu in '93, which obviously Hollywood glamorized as Black Hawk Down. And you were also on the mission to catch um, in Iraq some very high-profile people. Now, obviously, being a special forces operator, that had an impact on your health, and that turned quite dark in 2013. So. Can we lead up to that? Because obviously there's plenty of podcasts that we can talk about your, you know, your combat history and that, but we're not here to talk about that today. We're talk- here to talk about PTS and TBIs and mental health issues. So if we could talk about that lead up to that event on 2013, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, that was a, a culmination of me ignoring everything, right? Ignoring all the signs. Um being the warrior that we all like to be like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You know, rub dirt on, uh, uh, you know, and go help the other guy kind of thing. And uh, I've been doing that for a long time. And I was, I was tanking while I was doing it. And Jen and I had just started working together and, and we, we kind of knew each other a little bit. I don't know, maybe a month or two. I don't, yeah. A couple months. I get my times wrong, but um, it's all right. once she got to know me, she started paying attention and realized that, uh, you know, I wasn't a normal cat I was, something was wrong with me, but, she noticed enough that, okay, on certain days he's in a good mood, other days he's not. Um, but on that day, she kind of noticed, you know, I don't, all of my friends didn't notice. She just noticed I wasn't a chipper. I wasn't upbeat. I was more kind of reserved and in inflection. And I was having one of those days where I was realizing, you know, well, my career's over. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this stupid shooting zombie thing and, and teaching people how to don kit and shoot their, air, you know, uh, airsoft weapon at zombies. And I'm thinking... On that day, it just kind of hit me. I'm, I'm teaching people to kill other things, people, whatever, you know. It's it's the same techniques. 
And I thought, man, I'm washed up. I'm a loser and I've done my time here and it's just time to check out, you know? And I was having a, I was, I was in the middle of another divorce, my third, and my, my son wasn't really talking to me much. I was never home, so he didn't know me. And I just kind of decided that day on my, on that drive back from that work spot, Jen was in the front seat sitting next to me and my two, two buddies in the back seat, they didn't notice a thing, you know, they're, they're just as struggling. And we were all heading to the bar like always. And, uh, Jen noticed something and, you know, she's like, Hey, you're going to help carry my kit back to the, to the hotel. Cause we were parking a parking garage. I'm like, oh, I got to make a phone call. And I always helped her. My buddy took off. She kind of wandered off looking at me and I, I faked a phone call. And then as soon as everybody was out of sight, I pulled my pistol out and charged it and thought, you know, this is, this is it. I, you know, I got terrified and nervous. And I started thinking about, you know, the people that have to clean the car. I was thinking about my son who, you know, I didn't know, but you know, what would happen to him? And my phone starts you know, ringing and ringing and then vibrating and ringing and just, it drove me insane. So I actually reached down and grabbed it and looked at it and I saw you're late. There was some other text and I saw you're late. And I was like, oh shit, I'm never late for anything. You know, and I put the, I put, cleared my pistol, put it away, locked up the car and ran down to the, ran down to the lobby and found Jen. I'm like, what am I late for? And she's like, well, just let's go on in here. Everybody's waiting to chit chat, you know, let's go grab a seat at the bar. And she saw that I was kind of distraught a little bit, I guess. I don't know what, what you'd call it, but I wasn't normally happy and ready to drink. And I didn't tell her about it for two months. Um, and I think one day we were talking about something. I think I just thanked her. Yeah, I thank you. Maybe uh, one day, a couple months later for, hey, you know, that night when you, you kept bugging me in Ohio, I said, I was going to shoot myself that night. I was kind of checked out and, and done. And she freaked out and then realized that what I was going through wasn't just me. The yeah. people with training, the people that worked with us were just as in a train wreck situation. The SEALs were coming through. Different training iterations, six months later, people are missing or they look like they're 50 when they're really 25. And she started picking up a pattern and decided that, you know, she no longer wanted to help us send people to war. She wanted to bring people home. And that's when she started, you know, the foundation. But that was all just a, a crashing moment of and, and a realization of how quick someone can go from I'm all right to no, I'm done with this time on this planet. And that uh, and also how easy it is to kind of interrupt somebody from doing that. Absolutely. Now, Jen, through that moment, did you have any inclination that that was going through his head at that time as you were sat there in the passenger seat? You know, I, I didn't. I didn't think, hey, this guy's about ready to end his life. I just knew something was different. And we often talk about that, that spouses or people that are close are really great indicators of something going wrong, even when the person themselves um, won't admit it. And so... That day, he was talking about how he wasn't his normal self. His normal self, he's very in control, um, yet he could be very charming and funny, and people tend to gravitate towards him. And that day, he was so quiet. He was so internal. He was not focused at work, um, almost to the point where he's making mistakes, which was not like him. I don't make mistakes. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I, I knew something was wrong and different, and something wasn't right. Um, I wouldn't have left him if I had thought he was going to pull a gun out, but... Um, pretty soon after I got into my hotel room, I just started adding up the pieces and they, they didn't make any sense to me. Why is he sitting in a hot car in full kit in August when it's a hundred degrees out to make a phone call? He's a private hotel room. He could go to, to make that phone call. You know, he always walks me in. Why didn't he walk me in this time? So there was just enough small things that added up. He's very responsive. Um, was always, I text two seconds later, I'd get something back from him. He wasn't answering his phone. So it was just all of those things to the point where I was starting to put my bag down and, and go back out to the parking garage to check on him. And for some reason, I thought 
I'm just going to tell him he's late for something. I don't even know why, honestly, that came to me or how, but it was, you're late. And I got a text, you know, right back after that one saying, hey, you know, I'll be right down. Um, But yeah, it's just a lot of people ask us too, like, how do I save someone or how do I do something like that? I'm like, "I, I don't know, because for me, it was paying attention, seeing those flags and then acting in any way that I could in order to disrupt. I'm, I'm not a therapist or I have no training in this. Um, but it's just as simple as we've heard so many stories just like ours of a guy texting another dude, just tell me not to do it. And the response was don't do it. And that's literally all he needed. So it could be just as simple as feeling seen and heard to stop someone. Once you'd uh, obviously passed that point and you'd um you put your gun away there tom um did you realize that there was something wrong or were you still were you still masking it at this point i think i tried to hide it more uh like wow. i oh i took it a little further i better really hide this shit you know <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to have your weapons taken away you don't want people talking about oh something wrong with him or you know and, so you kind of tend to hide it more, which is what we've learned from that as well, that, you know, we don't wait for people to reach out to us. You know, if someone wants help, they have to make the phone call or the email, but we don't wait. We kind of, I reach out to my friends um, every week and I'll either call or text, Hey, what's up, man? You know, and I get that. Oh, I'm fine. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just checking up on how you're doing, man. I'm not seeing if you're like sick or anything, you know? And, and so I, I get it. People kind of hammer me for that, but hey, I just want to check in on people because sometimes I tell you something's going on, or hey, you know, me and the wife split that nobody knew about because they're trying to hide it as well. So, you know, you check on your strong good, fringe. You hit it a good probably two years. Yeah, I, I wow. not right after. No, I no, yeah, I, I even had several more attempts after that. It was yeah. it was just um, spiraling when you don't want to admit it. You don't want to. Um, recognize it and then when other people point it out you fight against it you're like i'm fine you shut up you know and to the point of screaming at people that are trying to tell me i'm angry and screaming all the time like no i'm not screaming all the time you know and two hitting rock bottom man like an alcoholic or something you know i I gotta hit rock bottom i think i pulled out a jackhammer kept trying to go a little deeper like don't tell me where i'm at i'll go i'll go to rock bottom you know and but i had been there for a while and i had been very resistant because admittance is difficult, you know, and so we've kind of changed our our verbiage on people don't need help, you know, they just need training or retraining, right? So everything in life that we do and we do well, we were trained on how to do that. We were taught, not helped to do those things. So people don't know how to communicate with their spouses very well, especially if they've grown apart. So we help to teach them communication techniques, you know, they don't know how to share their feelings. So we teach them how to do that. And if they've done it before, we reteach them because they've forgotten or lost it, or they might might need a new skill. So it's not help that we need. We just need to be taught how to deal with what we're struggling with and given tools to take take it on and tackle it. Do you think there's more of a stigma uh, with being a um, special operator, uh, such as yourself, in this alpha male environment, having a, a stigma that just doesn't allow you to talk about what you're going through internally? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's a stigma on against ourselves and it's a stigma to others who think we're elite and elevated and are afraid to ask us for help because well you're going to judge me because mine's not like yours. All the comparison. So many people call like oh, I didn't go to combat like you. I wonder how the hell do you know? You're already judging and comparing versus being curious as to how I got better. 
and people will say, well, I want to talk to you, you know, and I'm like, well, I didn't talk to me to get better, man. I was I was the effed up guy, you know. <laughs> I spoke to a counselor, a, a therapist, and, and they're like, well, I don't want to talk to a counselor or a therapist unless they've been to combat because they won't understand me. And I go, okay, our therapist doesn't want to talk to you unless you've gone to school for six to eight years and learned how to be a therapist either because it, it, see how that doesn't make sense. And then I try to bring the awareness of you didn't win the war yourself. You know, well, probably, you know, you didn't win any war. You, you didn't fight the war yourself. You, you had combo guy, you had medics, you had armors, you had tankers, you had cooks. I mean, you have every skill set out there because you can't do it all. So why would you think a therapist needed to have your skill set to do their job? You know, we'd like to remove those excuses that us A-types like to use to not admit we need help, right? I'm stronger for it. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband for it. I'm a better person for it. So all I want to do, you know, tell other people who say, oh, well, you're just weak. You're a baby. You know, cry yourself to sleep at night. I'm like, okay, yeah, those people need the most help, right? Because they're hiding it the most. I was there. I know it. And so that's how we just want to get people to reach out without that comparison, without that, oh, you're an alpha male. Yeah, I'm an alpha male, but I, I also have a heart and feelings and empathy and compassion again. And, and I'm a better person for having empathy and compassion again, which I had gotten rid of since probably 1993, you know, <laughs> and just found it recently. And I'm still finding more of it every day. Uh, Jen, so uh, over this um, two year period where Tom was hiding it even more so. What did you notice about him uh, as an outsider looking at him? Did you notice that his behavior was changing, that uh, his characteristics, his demeanor was completely different to what you expected? You know, it was I when I met Tom, I had little experience with military. My dad was military, but out before I was born. Um, so I think I had a Hollywood version of what, you know, operators were, um, what the community was. And then learning it was very different. And Tom did a really good job initially of wearing many masks, um, mask on top of mask to the point where I don't even think you knew which version of yourself you were anymore. And I think that was part of the problem as well. You know, I met him while he was retired out. He lost his sense of purpose, his tribe. Um, everything was crashing in, another divorce, a child that didn't talk to him. And at one point I said, when you were suicidal and at those points, are you thinking about war? Like, are you literally thinking, oh God, this happened in Iraq or wherever it was? And he said, no, not once did I ever go back to a combat moment. It was, I'm a failed father. I'm a failed husband. I'm not a good human being. I'm a monster. And so it was really about who he was as a person or who he felt he had become. And, you know, he would be charming, outgoing, funny. Everyone's like, hey, Tom. And then like Jekyll and Hyde, that could turn in a second. And so to meet someone like that, it was confusing at first. Like, And people would say, oh, there's good days and bad days. We had good moments and bad moments. There wasn't a good day that we had. It was getting through the day at that point. Um, and, you know, it was it was so typical of what I was seeing in the community that I, you know, at that point, like Tom said, I'm like, I, I can't do combat camera anymore. I need to go and help come home because I'm talking to a 23-year-old SEAL who's like, hey, can you help me? And the 29-year-old SEAL is asking for the same help. Yet the two of them on the same team, I'm like, are you guys communicating? Are you talking about this? We had a team, um, we had worked with them. It was their third iteration with us. And a couple of team members um, were killed in action. And I had asked some of the guys that came back, like, did you guys talk about this? And they're like, oh, that's not what we do, you know? And so I'm like, you don't grieve the loss of a friend. And they're like, nope, can't do it. Kind of compartmentalize, move on. Mm -hmm. 
And again, ask Tom about these experiences in that retired life, all of that stuff that he put away, all of the friends that he lost, all the horror that he witnessed started to come back piece by piece. And he didn't have the war to distract him or training to distract him. Um, he he was alone with those thoughts and it, it resulted in really, really heavy drinking all the time. Just a self-hatred, even in the words that he used, um, was just, it was heartbreaking to watch, frankly. Um, obviously, you were a combat photographer at the time. Now, looking back at hindsight, when you are with these operators, looking at them, can you see elements of what Tom was going through in these people that were still serving? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that was that was some of the heartbreak. I remember there was a PJ. He was about 29 years old. And he said, I'm going through my second divorce. And he kind of, some of the other guys were kind of laughing about it. And I could tell it was not funny to him. Um, and so later on, I kind of went over and talked to him. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, you, you seemed pretty upset back there. And he's like, I, I'm 29 years old. And I'm getting my, going through my second divorce. My parents are still married for 35 years. Like, is this just my fate? Is this what we're signed up for? Like, are we ever going to, is there any type of normalcy that will ever come back to my life? And I remember thinking I'm like 39 at the time. And I'm like, this guy's 29 years old. And he thinks his life is over at 29. Um, it, it didn't matter the age. Of course, the more experience you have deploying, the more experience you have overseas, the more trauma that could build up, the more shoving it under the rug, the more that that doesn't work, the more family stresses that come in. So yeah, I was seeing guys that were 28 years old. I'd see them on the next round at 30 and I'm like, oh my God, they look 50. You know, the weight of the war is so heavy. And I was hearing um, the same thing, although like I said earlier, I'd ask him, are you sharing this with a teammate? Are you guys helping each other out? And the answer was always no. And that was really heartbreaking to me too. Uh, I think I think one of the statistics in um, that sort of time period, about 2012, the U.S. was losing more veterans to suicide than they were uh, in the conflict in the Middle East, which I find absolutely heartbreaking. It's crazy. The numbers that they shared are low. Um, how many, what, was, what were the, the numbers? In the same amount of time, it was 5,653 and then up to what, 40? What's Well, that? I mean, honestly, the, the number of suicides in that same time is ranges from 45,000 to 100,000. Yeah. So, so you can say 5,653 um, by the time the war ended in 20 years. Yeah. Right. It's how many combat related deaths that we've had. And then you compare that to how many suicides we've had in the same amount of time based on people who have returned from combat. And it's it's astronomical. The mm -hmm. money's spent in the wrong places. The enemy can't touch us. You know, we we have the money, the equipment, the training, the time to do it. But dealing with it, dealing with what you do to other humans, we're not putting the money into. You know, and we hear that from all over. You know, the UK, Australia, everywhere. They're, we don't. We're not putting money. The, America's leading the way. And I'm like, oh my god, really? That's sad. <laughs> That's sad. Hear that? Oh know? no. <laughs> How is that with any other country living at all? If we're leading the way, because we suck at it and. You know, it's it's a big ship in the ocean and we're starting to turn it and it's going to take a long time and nobody likes to spend money on shit. You know, they don't want to really spend money on because they want to spend money on something else for themselves, depending on who the government's being ran by. And it's one of those things where it's just going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of effort on our, our part, our own parts mm -hmm. to take our health in our own hands. Um, one of the things I found, because obviously over here in the UK, we do feel that the US champions veterans mental health 
uh, and TBIs better than what we do over here. Uh, one of the things that we're still very much stuck on is calling it PTSD, classing it as a disorder. Uh, one of the things that I've been trying to change because uh, I'm a qualified mental health first aider now, um, I've been trying to go back to the course and class it as an injury, PTS. Yes. I injury because it's a mental injury rather than a disorder. And I, I would feel that that would help relieve some of the stigma behind it because you don't want, you know, these people saying that I've got a disorder. It's an injury because it's from an event that happened to you or that you witnessed. What, what's your thoughts 100%. on the way it's categorized? We've done the same thing. Um, the Canadians have changed it to post-traumatic stress injury, right? We've, we, yeah, we, we, we just, stole it from you guys. Yeah, we, we just dropped the D. Yeah, uh, we we'll call it post-traumatic stress. Uh, uh, occupational I think stress injury actually occ- came out of Canada stress first. Injury from a Canada. Yeah. And, yep. and honestly, it, you know how names change, especially in the military, right? If somebody has a better way to name it. Uh, you know, it's called Add an acronym, a, a long leg ladder <laughs> run, whatever. Who knows? They make up some weird shit, you know, and it kind of describes what it is. Post-traumatic stress disorder kind of sounds like down the road, right? It's a disorder when you don't get help for it. And if, if you sit around and bug people all day, yeah, that's a problem for people. So it's a disorder, you know, when you affect yourself and other people's lives. Post-traumatic stress, you know, it's an injury, like you said, and you can, it can heal. We, we stopped saying uh, invisible wounds of war because you can get a brain scan and you can see yeah. exactly yeah. what your brain's doing. Should be red, it's blue, should be white, it's green, you know, whatever. I hope it's not green, but, you know, red, white, <laughs> colors in your brain and, and if they're off they can tell you and oh by the way here go to amazon and order these natural supplements that will help fix that over time it's not uh, invisible wounds of war it doesn't have to be a disorder and it's not it a life is just an injury and it's not a life sentence but you have to get up and get to work on it or it will be a disorder and, a, and it will be a life sentence absolutely now uh, from from what you were just saying, that the, the, this seemed to have stemmed from uh, Mogadishu in nineteen ninety three. Um, obviously, there was a film made about it. Have you actually sat down and watched the film? Did that affect you uh, personally? Uh, so I, I, I've spoken to another Delta operator that was there at the same time, and he says, you know, he's not particularly sat down and watched it. I don't know if you watched it yourself, and if that um, perhaps didn't help or or whatever the case may be. Uh, I watched it once, and that was when it was an early release at the movie theater with all my my bros that went went through it. So, yeah. in true fashion, it was like pro- a red carpet. We were event. probably drunk, and we were laughing at everything and making fun of the actors. You know, so we were big mask up, <laughs> laughing at what happened, making fun of people, and then and then honestly asking questions like, "Did that happen?" You know, <laughs> I wasn't in that spot, so I don't know that th- those things happen. So, you know, you learn a little bit when you watch the movie. I haven't been able to watch it since i've never been able to watch it alone or with with jen I, I i can't we've tried a couple of times like i think i'm gonna watch black hawk down or it's on flipping channels and it'll be on still yeah, to this day damn movie's on i'm like oh shit and i'll start watching it and then it just gets too personal i mean i know the reality behind the the hollywood movie that i'm watching and those are your friends yeah, yeah. and uh yeah and i know who they are so it's it it i don't expect it to hit other people that deep right i mean that's the reality of the world. Nobody cares about cancer unless somebody you know or you have cancer, right? And then all of a sudden it's, oh, cancer, 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 or any other thing or problem or disease. It's just sad that most people don't um, dedicate time to it unless it affects them, their family, or someone they love. And we tried two years ago, I think. Yeah. There was a lot of anniversary Black Hawk Down stuff happening. So it was yeah. on 
constantly um, that October, September, October. And I think it was maybe 15, 20 minutes already in. I think Blackburn had fall, fallen from the helicopter when we started watching it. And Tom was like, I think I want to watch this. And I did a like, really? Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do this. Because he had tried before and it didn't go well. And I would say um, maybe another 15, 20 minutes into it physically, I could see the response was all over him, heavy breathing. His face was turning red. I mean, I'm like, all right, all right. If you need to continue, I'll sit with you through this, but I'm just seeing you and you don't look okay. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at me and said, turn it. That's a real and thing for it. a lot of people to consider is as you're sitting there telling people things don't affect me. You should ask, well, does it, does it affect me? Right. What do you see that it affects me? Because I'm going to lie. I'm not going to judge myself as well as someone else might judge me. And so a lot of people need to think about that when you sit down and and do things that might trigger you or anger you or agitate you. Um, That person (laughs) that you live with doesn't want to deal with that shit. So you might want to consider that instead of yourself. Uh, Because I won't notice when I'm getting elevated. I, I lived elevated. Right. I. I it's get mad when zone. someone tells me I'm elevated now because I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm elevated? Now? I'm always elevated. No, you've actually gotten a lot better. Now you're elevated. I'm like, well, shit, you know, and I get mad about it. But you really have to be aware of how you change and who you become when you get into those um, moods or those feelings or emotions come over you. And so watching a, a movie like that or even think, I mean, I think about it all the time. Yeah. They'll strike me and then I'll be in a bad mood. I'll say something wrong and she'll, what's wrong? And I'm like, what do you mean what's wrong? And then boom, it happens. And it's, it's like, I don't even know what I did. I'm like, I, I don't even remember either until I really sit down and look back and go, oh, she's like, oh, you did a podcast the other day and really laid out what you did in Somalia. Cause we don't do the war story thing either. There's so many podcasts yeah, yeah. that do war stories. Throw a dead cat and hit a war story. So why share another one? Exactly. They're very triggering. And then your brain relives them and it thinks it's real again and you're re traumatized again. And then, she notices, you know, after that podcast I did, um, I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. She's like, okay, well, you were really screwed up for a couple of weeks after that last podcast describing, yeah. you know, Somalia and what you did. So it does re-trigger you and your brain doesn't know the difference. And that's something to consider when you live with other people. I think you're very lucky that, you, that you've got her. I, th- I, I can see this very synonymous bond that you've got and how she sort of looks after your mental health. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so let, let's pick up on all secure then, um, where, where did that idea come from? Did it come from the title of the book to start off with, or did you already have that business in mind? Yeah. Jen's a creator, man. She's an ideator and she, and she, she made me sit down you know, what do you want to call it? I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't care. You know, it's just, <laughs> we have to sit down and there's this process. Cause she was one of those people, those, you know, one of those advertising, advertising people. people for many, many years. And I'm just, I just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And um, she goes, no, really think about, you know, this and that and what it means and what we're trying to provide and, and for people. And so she kind of laid it out and said, is there a military term that people will pick up on? I said, well, we're helping special operations. I said, pretty much when we go on target, when we're, you know, tagging it, taking it to the bad guys, no matter how many different houses you're hitting or targets you're hitting, when you're done with that, and and I would make a radio call up to hire, we're all secure, right? Target's all secure, meaning the bad guys have been dispatched. We're still here, but we're, the danger's over, at least for now. You can take a breath. You can take a breath and pause and relax a little bit. And so that's the first time you can kind of calm down after a combat mission is when you hear all secure. So that's a good starting point. So 
The book came at the book came after. after. So the foundation was formed in 2017. His book was 2019. Yeah. So the book was after the foundation. So the, the name of the foundation was first based off of that thought process. And, and you felt calling the book would have the same sort of effect as what you were trying to achieve with the foundation, I presume. I think I, I, we kept the book the same in hopes of that and driving people yeah. to the foundation because we wrote the book. I wasn't going to write the book. No, no not, did never not writing the book, book, right? Not doing it. Not <laughs> it writing a book. Here, of begging, pleading, and first phone call I got from one of my mates. Oh, what are you, a Navy SEAL? Now I'm like, here we go. I knew it. I told you this was going to happen, <laughs> man. I'm, I'm writing a book. I'm blacklisted and all this. And you know, I, I told my friend that called me and asked me about it, or said, "I heard you're writing a book. What's up, bro?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, have you do you know what it's about?" And like, no. And I go, "All right then, listen up." <laughs> and I told him, "I go, it's not going to be about anything we did that's classified, obviously." You know, I wrote the book and I went through Intel section. I kept sending them chapters, sent them the whole book. They said, "Can you change this? Can you remove that?" You know, blah blah blah. Yeah, absolutely. And they said, "This book is good to go. It does not give away any secrets." I go, okay, I'm not going to lose $6 million if I ever made it, right? So I don't I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I giggle at that. I know, right? Oh, you guys are rich now. You know, because um, what the one of the Bin Laden books or something, somebody got sued for saying too much to her. Like, whatever that story was, that wasn't going to happen to me at the time. It was like, yeah. I'm going to do this the right way. And so went through Intel. And it's just, you know, the book's about how I screwed up. It's not a bunch of combat stories. It's a couple because you got to get somebody to read it. But, you know, like Jen said, we hide the peas inside the brownies. It's all sweet and delicious, <laughs> looking, but you're still getting the nutrition out of it. And I, I hear that from a lot of people like, hey, your book, man, I, it was one thing I thought. And I really got to the other side and realized, oh, wow, this is a completely different book than I thought. Then I have other people like, I'm not reading your book because I've heard enough war cool stories, school guy stories. Like, Shit, I screwed up the cover, you know, so yeah, judging a book by its cover, cover right? you know, I, I didn't uh, <laughs> You're putting a war guy on the front. Of course, you're going to think there's a guy in uniform. It's a war book. But, um, you know, I, that thought process was to get people to reach out for help. And and she said, we're going to reach more people than you can on the phone. We were on the phone all day long talking to people. We're trying to. Then it was the same story. Same Every story. single warrior that was calling, like, I got to tell you my story. I'm like, let's go. And three <laughs> hours later, I'm like it's Tom's story. And then the next call, I'm like, and that's Tom's story. And every guy's like, really, really? I'm like, yep, 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 yep. You guys went through the same thing, going through the same thing, doing the same thing. And I told Tom, I'm like, dude, do you know how many people you can reach if you had a book? And honestly, I could just tell people, listen, go read this book and then call us. And we'll, we'll go through <laughs> what training, you know, resources that you need um, specific to your journey, but you're not alone. This guy's been through it. He's had a ton of friends go through it. And um, luckily, it's it's worked out in that way where people have, you know, we've gotten so many messages from guys literally yeah. saying I was sitting on the edge of my bed with a gun. And for some reason, I didn't do it. And the next day, somebody gave me your book or the next day I saw something on your book and I read it and it made me realize I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only person that feels this way and I can get through it, too. So it, it's lived its purpose. Yeah, it's reached its intended purpose of uh, not bragging, but. Getting people to realize this screws you up. And if you're anything like me and anywhere in between, you probably need some help too. And by the way, here's where you come get it, you know, come over here and get it. And then that way there's like a smooth process to entertaining day turning into, man, I'm screwed up. I might need some help. So yeah. but that's, um, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast myself. Um, I went through uh, depression and suicide ideology uh, and I'm also a, a suicide survivor myself it was 
difficult because it, it wasn't until the point that I turned around and looked at myself and thought, this isn't me, I need help. To all the point where I had people telling me that I was doing stupid things, I was not being myself. I was like you said, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm just going to carry on. And I just went down the deepest, darkest hole you could imagine. But I managed to crawl myself out of it. Yeah. And that's something I'm incredibly proud of. I'm not the person who I was before I had depression, before I attempted suicide. I'm somebody different. I'm embracing that. And I'm trying to help as many people as I can, which is why I do the podcast. That's Amazing. that's so key that you said that. That's so important that you're not the person you were before. No, I'm not. But you're no. not the person you were then either, right? You're a different no. person, a better person. Yeah. A lot of people are like, I want to be back to that kid I was before I joined the army as a spouse. I want the man I had before. Gone. Yeah. Never coming back, right? Now you deserve a better version than what yeah. you may have now, but it's not going to be the one you had before. There's no yeah. going back to that person. That's too much has happened. Um, but yeah, that's very, very key and important. I'm glad you said that. Well, thank you. Um, writing the book. Now, I've spoken to a lot of veterans that have found writing an autobiography or, or writing about their, their life in general was almost a therapeutic process you know taking these memories taking the the thought train that you had going on and putting it on paper uh was almost like i was just saying like a therapy session in itself how did you find it obviously you were a bit um resistant to writing the book to start off with but as the as the project progressed how did you find it it was very cathartic for me it was um there was a lot of stuff i'd forgotten um just i've done so much over 20 years the 25 years I was in it, I had forgotten so much. And so co-writer brought in some other people, some friends of mine and asked them some questions and they were sharing some stories, which I had messed up. And cause I saw my version, their version is different. So we melt, you know, melded the versions together. And, and that's the truth right in the middle of everybody's little version of what <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, very healing for me to learn more than I knew um, to hear some stories that people would talk about me as a leader. Cause I never, held myself as like that good of a leader. Like I, I'd always repeat stuff to her when she's like kicking me when I'm down and making me feel bad. And I'm like, Hey, I was a good person. She's like, no, all your friends said you were an asshole. I'm like, yeah, I was, I was kind of an asshole, but fair. You know, I was a fair guy. So <laughs> we're going to air that, out all of our dirty laundry. It was, fighting it right was now. good that people, um, I heard those stories, um, that Tom took care of us. Tom was, you know, worried about us and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, thank God they knew that. So that's one thing that weighed me down. Um, but very healing to talk about it and also very telling during the process that I needed some more help. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I have a wake up call. I need some more help. We're nowhere near. I mean, we're still, I'm still working on myself, right? Yeah. That's a lifelong process. So yeah. I'm still tackling on and taking different, different modalities of healing every year. Um, so you, you, Jen, you've started up uh, Viago now i believe that that's aimed more at the the spouses of of veterans and helping them uh so obviously it, it becomes a two-pronged attack so to speak doesn't it you, you've got tom that's reaching out to the veterans themselves but then you're also helping the the spouses um how's that coming along and uh what is it you're managing to point the uh spouses towards you know it really came about um i started working with the warfighters and had about three and a half years experience um, working alongside them. It was some of the greatest 
times of my life. Um, and I really got to learn about the spouses first through the warriors. So I didn't, I wasn't meeting the spouses and, and befriending them because again, I'm a, I'm a veteran wife. I'm um, at this time, I'm a girlfriend and um, just started hearing truly the way these men were speaking about their wives. Like they were their heroes, that they were their saint, they were their angel, they were, you know, everything to them. And then in the same breath, I would hear, but I don't know how to bring that home. I could never say that to her that I just said to you. And in fact, early on, um, I got in trouble a few times from some spouses who would find my phone number in their husband's <laughs> phone. I got a, maybe three calls out of yeah. a lot, but of like, who is this? Who is Jen? How do you have his number? What's going on here? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and then actually started talking to those women too. And the more women I started talking to, in fact, it all started with a couple of seals who were like, can you talk to my wife now? Can you tell her, tell her you know, okay. what you just told me? <laughs> and um, I'm like, I don't know how that'll go, but sure. You could give her my phone number and just started talking to all of these spouses who felt alone, isolated. The number one thing I hear honestly is, um, am I crazy? Am I crazy for being here? Am I crazy for staying? This is, you know, for a lot of women, it's an extremely difficult and challenging relationship. Every single woman's magazine is going to tell you you're in a toxic relationship that you should leave. Uh, your family and friends might even say that. So you could become extremely isolated, um, confused, frustrated. You're given the job of wife and mother, but also therapist, physical therapist, you know, all of these punching roles, bags, pun yeah, punching bags. That, that you don't, you're not equipped for and you're not trained for. So the idea with Farago is there's a place for us women to go, our tribe, our, you know, you've got, I told Tom, I'm like, you've got somebody to your left and right that you could call anytime at three o'clock in the morning and they'll get on a plane. We don't have that. We don't have that sense generally of, especially us veteran spouses who weren't in the community, but now are. Um, so we need our safe space. We need to create that tribe. We need to have each other's back. Um, and that's what it's designed to do. So education, awareness, and community. She took on, <laughs> after my book, she took on the military gang with this book <laughs> she wrote before she started Virago. So like people pick up Arsenal of Hope. It's kind of a continuation of, hey, here's here's the end game. Here's Here's the yeah. things we did. Here's some other stories of other spouses as well. And, that, and I'm just a self-help junkie. Like I've got the Barnes and Noble section in my. I'll tell you about it. Her book's better than mine. Mine's a story. Hers has like, here's how you get better, by the way. You know, hers has a an ending, right? With some tools in it. So yeah, I think it's a good. With some licensed clinical social workers on that. <laughs> uh, do you think then Viago would be um, obviously helping the spouses and keeping the marriages together? Because uh, by the sounds of it, special operators, um, statistically get divorced a lot and obviously that that isn't going to help them on their mental health so do you think that this is helping keeping these marriages together yeah I, that's our goal honestly people will look at all secure foundation um and they say where where's your heart where's your mission and our mission is to keep families together that's number mm -hmm. one um tom might not be here today if i hadn't bugged the shit out of him with that text and I've heard thousands of stories of wives doing the exact same thing. We are the battle buddy. We're the forever battle buddy. Um, so, you know, it's, we need our training too. You know, Tom needs his training and retraining. I need my training and retraining. And when we get that together, we're invincible. I mean, we, we started at divorce where we would fight a thousand times a day to the point now 
couple days could go by and there's nothing and maybe a little spark. And then we have the tools to get back to good immediately. And so we want to train other people how to do that. And so much of that is awareness. We have couples retreats. We bring special operation couples together. They spend four days together. Um, Really, it's not group activities. It's really couple specific, but they're together in a group. And the amount of elbows that fly in the room, both the, you know, both the warrior and the spouse where they don't feel like, oh, my God, we're not the most screwed up relationship. Like, yeah, one guy telling us everybody too. did something stupid and you can look around the room and it's somebody else's wife's going, hey, listen, that's what you do. You know, I'm like, yes. yeah, that's what we all do. As soon as the elbows are flying, you know, you know that you're reaching that group. It's an, it's couples kind of therapy in a group, but that's how you can reach more topics that way as people see, oh, you brought up a topic I wouldn't have thought about, but yeah, that's another topic we need to talk about. I mean, we help veterans in active duty. So it's funny to a point where we've helped um, special operations, retired individuals and their new spouses, right? Yeah. And social media and their former spouse sees that they're getting help and they're like, hey, you helped my ex-husband and his new wife. What about me? We're like, Come on, right? You're part of the tribe too. Yeah. You suffered, you know, part of that that trauma as well. So come on. And it helps. I mean, you know, some, and not people, only some that, people split the culture. up. Some people split up. We're like, yeah. we just want to help you be good co-parents in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah when there's children involved, yeah. If 100%. you have to do that, then, do you know, that's what you're going to do. That but, and the culture doesn't support marriage, really. Like, that was the other thing I saw was, um, and Tom loves to tell the story. He's like, yeah, you were really embedded when that happened because- <laughs> There is, you know, a team, we were together at the very end, one of the SEAL guys, he was like, hey, can you help me with my wife? Show me a picture of his wife, his kids, like I'm invested with him over the four weeks. And then at the end, we're all drinking at a bar and he was, like, you know, pretty girl walks in. He's like, hey, you gonna be my wingman. <laughs> I, like, I think you just forgot who you're talking to. I was like, dude, <laughs> I've been talking to you about your wife for weeks, man. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to do that. And he kind of looked at me surprised and caught for a minute. And I'm like, and you should cut that shit out. Seriously. If you want to move forward with your wife and, and be a good father, like make them a priority. Um, and you're going to have to do that in this circle where um, you're frankly, I watched it. I saw people encouraging, Hey, go get that girl. Hey, you know, I know they're all married. They all know they're married. And so part of what we're trying to do is also making being in a couple cool again, like, hey, this it's okay to love your wife and your spouse. And we've had so many, Pat McNamara, um, who is a really big kind of American persona, you know, we said, hey, can you do some stuff with us? And he's like, yeah, what's the theme? We're like making couples cool again. He's like, hell yeah. He's <laughs> like, I love my wife. You know, she's amazing. And and we've got to start a culture of celebrating that. So it's another part of really trying to unify. It's such a stressful cheating on your spouse is so stressful, right? For You don't want caught. So that's stress on top. The phone rings, emails, it's all stress. And imagine if those teammates would have done that one thing that she did that night. I don't think you should do that, bro. Right. Just don't support it. Yeah. I mean, and then browbeat him. And then, and then, and then, yeah. And then no. walk away, whatever. And he's on his own. He does his thing. But, you know, instead of supporting it or looking away, saying something like, Hey man, I'm not cool. You know, and how many stressful situations and lives and marriages would you save and, and better choices suicides, that people can frankly. make and suicides because of family matters, family issues. You know? Yeah. 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 I, uh, can 100% relate to that um I think very lucky for myself we managed to pull our marriage back from the brink uh and it was one signature away from being complete completely gone so we managed to pull it back from the brink and we're 
I would like to say happier than we ever have been. So um, um, again, another very proud moment that I've managed to achieve. Um, so obviously, you, you know, you were saying there that this um, seal operator was in a room full of other operators. Do you think it is that alpha male thing that, you know, let's try and, you know, get another woman while we're here? Again, it's that culture, isn't it? So do you think it's more of a culture change that needs to happen rather than, you know, um, stopping it completely? If it, it was embedded in them to say, like you were saying, being a couple is cool instead of going out caveman attitude put the woman taken back i mean i i get it to a degree i'm like not trying to be judgy on the the culture either because i told tom at one point if i did your job and i thought i might not be coming home and then i did your job again and i thought i might not be coming home and you did that countless deployments i don't know yeah. thousands of missions and any time your number could be up and so i I get to a degree the recklessness that comes with living sort of this rock and roll lifestyle of live hard, live fast. I'm going to die by the time um, 40, 30, whatever anyway. So I don't think within the culture, there's a lot of consequence or consequential thought patterning that's happening as well. I wasn't hearing the guys going, yeah, but you really should think about when your daughter's like graduating high school or have you thought about this or that? It, it's now it's fast. It's um, no consequences. Plus they're in a room of people who aren't going to tell on each other generally, you know, it, it, there's like a, a safety or security in that as well as the culture. And, and we like to talk about stuff like that. And it's hard and spouses don't want to hear it. Guys don't want you to talk about it. It's, it's one of those things. Um, if you're not in a good relationship at home or you're not in a relationship at home because you're not home um, yeah. and you're out, or you argue and you're paying bills and your spouse, we just what we talked about this yesterday. Um, it's easy. Someone says you look good, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're with a co or you're with your coworkers, you're out at a bar, and then some decent looking women walk in and you're drinking there, and then they say hi and they're, oh, you're boom. Somebody thinks I'm cool again, somebody likes me again, versus eh, I'm sick of your shit. And you know, yeah, this is not blame for anybody. This is the actual processes that happen. And so you have to be aware and constantly thinking about the decisions you're making and where you're putting yourself. And and then the consequences of, of later, right? You have to think about that. And and it's sex, not intimacy, is what it, we were right, talking it, about it's yesterday. Sex, not intimacy. So it's it's intimacy not love. It's, tough. it's somebody noticed me and that made me feel good. And wow, what can happen after that? And then and then the nightmare of oh God, what have I done? What have I done? And then and then the habit of doing it again and again. And then it's then you don't even think about it. And then you get caught and you're like, oh, everything's over and boom, you know, whatever it is, it's shit happens that fast. Does. So you have to think ahead of time before you do things, you know, like like we did at our jobs. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, again, something very incredibly relatable. Um, it is amazing when when we start talking about these things, uh, and I'm sure people listening to this are going to be going, oh, actually, yeah, that I can relate to that as well. And I think again, the more you know, we talk about these difficult subjects, the easier it's going to be for people to turn around and go, do you know what? You, you're exactly right. It's, it's got to happen. You have to be honest with yourself when you become aware of your issues. You got to be honest about them, right? Yeah. And admit them and then, and then get to work on them. It's a, it's a whole couple of processes that have to happen before you actually start to feel better. You know, you got to figure it out. Then you got to admit it. And they go, okay, admit it to yourself and then figure out what's my path ahead and then get to work and then stick with it because you're going to want to stop. You know, you're going to want to go back to what you're used to and what was easy and what was funner sometimes. And now it's Comfort, like, yeah. now I'm on this side of it. And, and 
you know, we're not perfect for sure. That's yeah, I'm not perfect. <laughs> no, sure. we're not She's Facebook right. perfect. <laughs> but it's way, way, way better. I have zero stress about things. You know, I'm not hiding stuff. I'm very open and honest. And, and it's it's a wonderful relationship that way. You know, and it's better than I've ever had in any relationship. And that's just, that's not just because she's right here. Either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, we, we, we've got these unseen injuries and we've been talking a lot about depression and uh, PTS. Uh, TBIs. Now, TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, these can be accumulated over time. Um, even from training exercise use, uh, breaching doors, uh, training grenades. It's a culmination throughout the military career, so to speak. Uh, it's not just combat. Now, TBIs can manifest in, in the same sort of way as, as depression, as uh, mood swings, memory losses. Is that something that you've been able to uh, touch on base with as well with these operators? Yeah, and it's so critical. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought up TBI. We had a spouse call and she said um, her husband's a Green Beret active duty. And she's like, he's been throwing up for four months every single day since his last deployment. And they keep saying he's fine, but I don't think he's fine. I'm like, he's not fine. And she's like, yeah, but he's already gone to MedChat. You know, he's done all the things at work. I said, fine. You live in Seattle. There is a civilian hospital in Seattle. Sometimes you have to go outside of the system that you're in in order to get the help you need. Um, and luckily they did. They went outside the system and he does. He has very severe TBI. Um, TBI and, and something really important to understand, you mix that with PTS and then your suicidal ideations through the roof. Skyrockets. And, and these guys don't know it. So for they're longer, like, what's for wrong with For a longer period too, for a longer period. Yes. And so it's like, why do I have suicidal ideation a hundred times a day? It's like, that's the injury in your brain. And and to help people understand that that's part of this injury that can also be healed is so critical because I know, I don't know, we've talked to a ton of other Delta guys who also admitted the same thing. Yeah, I've had several attempts. Yes, I've had several attempts. Yes, I think about suicide 100 times a day. There's times I'm driving my car and I think I'm just going to drive into this wall or this tree and I'll ask, how often does that happen? Every <laughs> single time I'm in a car. <laughs> You're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a, yeah, I thought of that once twice. So, right off this cliff, man. Yeah, we <laughs> have to talk about brain health in this yeah this arena in order to heal we have to it's critical um obviously um the us have got some very interesting methods of tackling tbi uh predominantly aimed at veterans because you can end up failing a drugs test now there's that uh ayahuasca the veterans i've heard of uh, of taking there's been some great results have you had any um contact with that or, or known people that's been taking it yes yeah we right. did five meo dmt um and I, apparently it's one of the hardest ones to do. It was short-lived. Shocker with Tom, we went straight to 36. Skip 11, <laughs> 36. I don't want to throw up for a week. I want to go do the quick one. Um, yeah, we Three literally- Three days or an hour? We went to the location we did it in. Um, I went first, right? She watched me go. Uh, it was probably seven different doses over an hour and a half. Seven different journeys. A horrible. Horrible, wow. wonderful experience. Um, Jen went next. I got to watch her go. And literally right after I did it, 10 minutes later, I'm like, whew, so that's it, huh? All right, I'm sitting on a beanbag and watching her for an hour and a half. I'm like, this is hell on earth. I'll tell you what, that was the most change I'd seen out of everything I'd done. And we've we've done nine, nine 10 different modalities of healing since we started. And we do them together. 
she watches me. We, we, we post about it. We video so other people will see it. If they won't be afraid of it. You know, we have TMS, you know, shocking your brain. We video that all the time. Uh, dual sympathetic reset, reset shot. But this was very profound. Um, you know, you, you're, you're dying. I knew I was dying. And I'm, I'm fighting it, fighting it, fighting it on that couch, I was dying. And then I remembered, wait a minute. I got, they said, don't fight it. Give into it. But yeah. for, so I kind of ch chilled out and gave into it. And it was when I was, whoa. And I just went into that journey of here comes hell. Here comes everything bad in my life, the devil. And, then, oh, and I'm stuck in a cellophane shit. And then, and then I woke and then I sat up and started throwing up. I'm like, okay, God damn it. Wow. Yeah, devil's feet. I don't know. It was the weirdest experience, but I knew when I was done because I went in with the intention of finding joy. They were like, what's your intention? Have an intention. Don't, you don't have to tell us what it is. I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do. Right? I didn't know what to think. I'm like, I don't have a clue. I thought, what do I want? And I said, I want to experience joy. I haven't been happy or joyful. I couldn't remember when. And I tell you, I woke, I started to wake up at the end. I think I was laughing and crying and laughing and laughing. And yeah, I felt, pretty, it was pretty wild. I felt so good for so long after that. Um, and whenever we would get into a situation where it was bad or a fight or something bad had happened in our lives, I wouldn't go back to the bad part of my life. I wouldn't go back to Somalia or Iraq. I went back to that experience and how much joy I felt. That's how far back I went. It freaked me out, frankly, to be around him. The first two, three weeks, he was same Tom, you know, less rage. Rage wasn't really there, but I didn't notice that much change in the first couple of weeks. And I thought this didn't work. Yeah. Here I've spent like two years talking to founders of these organizations, dozens and dozens of guys who have gone through it. They're like, it changed my life. Everything's better. Every, you know, and here I'm like, it didn't work on this guy. And then it was like one day, boom, it just switched for him. And for about two weeks, I kept looking at him really strange. Like, where did Tom Satterley go? Because I don't know who this guy is who, you know, has zero rage in that entire four or five month period, little bit of anger, no rage, um, anything that would come up that would normal, normally bring like hypervigilance or some, some of that behavior, it was all gone. And so even for me as a spouse, I had to readjust my muscle memory. Like, okay, I'm going to say something that's going to piss Tom off. And I brace myself. I say it and he's like, Oh, sounds great, babe. All right. And I'm like, what the, and so, I, I mean, as a spouse, I had to relearn him as well in his healing, which can be really challenging for spouses as well. That's a key point to talk about is post, yeah. is secondary post-traumatic stress or eggshell syndrome that spouses go through um, or the loved ones of, of warriors that come out and they change who they are. And they're like, well, you're the one that went through the trauma. Yeah, but you're the one that's anticipating my negative responses all the time. Yeah. So you change how you behave in order to not set me off. So you're not even who you are anymore. And spouses are like, what? Yeah, no shit. Yeah, this does affect me. Like, yeah, it does affect you, doesn't it? It is secondary post-traumatic stress. You walk around on eggshells hoping not to piss him off or her off, you know, so they don't freak out on you and you don't have another argument. So you are not behaving like you normally behave. So you've both are now different, right? So it's yeah. it's very key to understand that that when when a warrior is going through the healing, you're both going through healing, and that spouse wants you to heal so bad. I want you to, hey, you should try something else. Hey, you should try something else. Jen did it for a while, and I started I started hearing, I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? Right. So or heal you have to be enough. very cautious about how excited you are for your partner's healing to keep pushing because you want them to feel better, but they're hearing 
after a while, they're like, oh, it's never going to be good enough for you, is it? You want me to do something else now, so I'll never be healed. So you have to kind of be careful in that communication back and forth. Uh, we're both on this together. Yeah. Journeys together. It's for the better of for both of us. And all intentions that we want are just for us to both to be better and heal and be happy. But together, so. I'm glad you brought up plant medicine, too. It's not for everyone, but people who need to address body, mind, spirit, and they're willing to do the spirit part. I think that's the part that... Um, so not talked about moral injury, um, the spiritual warfare that happens. And I think the plant medicine can get to the root of it. Yeah, we won't and, push and it because no. it's not for everybody. But it's here's the deal. I would say do your research, yeah. do a lot of research and, and don't let fear drive your decision. Right. Yeah. Let knowledge drive your decision. Fear kept us away for a while. <laughs> Even though we studied, studied, even though studied. I did drugs in my twenties, yeah. like, what's well, wrong with yeah, me? That's a, that's a good time. <laughs> when it's for drugs, work, I sat up and I, I looked at the doc and I go, "Tell me, nobody does this recreationally, man. That was hell on earth." He was a little medicine man from Peru, and he just think was confused. Yeah. Like, what? Well, no. what are you talking about? This, you is, talking? this is medicine. I'm like, no, no, this is a drug. <laughs> but ayahuasca, we have not done, but we've researched and we want to, and, we, and we're looking yeah. at, um, again, finding time, which I and would really never advocate for. Called- to do it and we don't feel at this particular moment after five meo it's a little terrifying to go back and do that stuff again even it's not as as hard as what you did yeah but that's all i think about right now so i don't consider myself unhealed enough to maybe go through that at this moment but we're looking at it as yeah let's let's go look into it because we want to talk about it and we're gonna need something else down the road so you know dive in i guess um i find it fascinating that you you both did it together is is that uh jenna is so you get an understanding of what tom's going through and how his mind um saw the treatment you know i'm so glad that i did it because i don't know that and not that spouses have to but i wouldn't have had a point of reference at all when he was talking about because it was like, he's like, do you remember that point when you go in and you see that kaleidoscope and, you know, I'm laughing I'm like, oh yeah, oh my God, when I saw this and that. And, and so we were able to share in that experience together, which was really profound and beautiful. Um, and it helped me understand him as well. But yeah. having childhood trauma, having a sexual um, assault, for me, I wanted to go through it for my own healing, um, my own PTS that I wanted to address. So um, it was kind of in two part. I wouldn't have done it, to be honest, just to support him. I don't think I would do it without feeling I needed healing. Um, that's just doing yeah, drugs. That's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not that kind of drug. So, <laughs> uh, Obviously, you know, you just alluded to you helping you heal yourself as well. How did you personally feel afterwards? Obviously, we've just heard, you know, Tom's account and you saying it was several weeks after that you started seeing some, you know, some positive changes. How did you feel after this uh, medicine? It was February last year, and there probably hasn't gone a day by that I haven't thought about that experience. Um, I'm still dissecting it. I'm still taking pieces of it going, oh, my God, I think that's what that meant. Because it's so, um, for me, it wasn't like a linear experience. It was all of these messages. Some things were very, very, very clear to me. Like I, I've been a human doing my whole life um, due to, I think, that abusive childhood as finding my worthiness and the next accomplishment and the next thing that I could do and um, really spent my childhood and adult caring and taking care of other people. And the message that came through for me that was so strong was you're worthy enough on your own 
you're good. You don't have to be a human doing, just be a human being from now. And so this last year, there's times I've said no, where Jen, a year before would have, yep. Okay. Let's go. Let's do this. And, and so just finding my no, finding my confidence, um, it really sparked an interest in spirituality. I already was interested. And now it's like, now I'm on 36 on that of, all right, I've got to dissect more. I've got to get into this um, because I've seen men and women totally change um, their lives completely turned around with one or five or six experiences. So it takes some people more. So, um, yeah. Uh, is this something that uh, the pair of you document on your own podcast? Because I know you have, you know, the All Secure podcast. Is this something that I can point people towards to to watch themselves? We've yep. had a couple of people on there, right? Uh, so we have one with Jesse Gould, and he is the founder of Heroics Heart Project. Um, so there's one specifically with him talking about the different types of plant medicine. And then Tom and I did one specifically called Healing with Psychedelics. And that's just our experience of us talking about walking through what we saw, you know, the changes that came from us. Um, and, and sometimes what's really interesting is they told us that we would notice things in each other first. And that's so true. Cause he's like, did you notice like you just did this or that? And they were confident. She had a things. meal in front of people. <laughs> yeah. You know, we go out and we do speaking engagements all the time and people, Hey, let's have a dinner. And she'll sit down and talk and never eat. It's like, she didn't eat in front of people. I had an anorexic mother. <laughs> she literally was eating food at a buffet. I'm like, look at you eating food at a buffet. You know? I, I was first in line. <laughs> look at you saying seconds. no to people who ask you stuff. You know, I, I don't have time. I'm sorry. Versus, versus she would have always said yes and put herself out for everybody, stressing herself yeah. out. Now it's, now it's like more thoughtful and more, um, more of a little bit of her in her life now that she can take care of. That's good. Um, so what do you see the future of the All Secure Foundation? Trucking on. Oh, yeah. Growing. Um, yes. We're trying to scale everything. I mean, we're scaling everything so we can grow. We're looking at um, more therapists. I mean, we're we're pretty full right now with therapists. We don't like people waiting longer than four days, I think, is, is no, maybe the longest for our most um, busiest therapist, our coach, if you will. Um, adding, We've been adding retreat locations instead of doing where we've been doing them. We've been adding different locations so we can take it to the location where the individuals are who need help, um, saving them more money, saving us money, um, and, and, and getting to, to them quicker yeah. and then working on, a um, well, maybe a location. Yeah. We have a location to run retreats at a facility, brick and mortar where people come in all year long versus four to six a year retreats. We could do 10 to 20 a year and just rotate people through and, and get more people help. But, but continuing with the therapy, um, and continuing with the awareness piece yeah. by probably writing another book about spiritual warfare or something. Um, that sounds good. What would be your advice to uh, somebody wanting to start a, a nonprofit uh, foundation like yourself to to help veterans? Oh, research. Um, yeah. And find Save people money. to help you do it for free, right? Like find yeah. a lawyer to help you incorporate yes. it for free. So many um, people, people can want donate to, yeah. their time instead of, I mean, it's so difficult to do it. And if you have to pay for it yourself, like we were paying for everything ourselves up front um, and doing all the things ourselves, but. Yeah. Like I, I love the advice though. That's a good piece. And I called a ton of other nonprofits and you would be amazed how many CEOs will pick up their phone. I mean, I'm like, Hey, mission 22 CEO, Sarah, she got on the phone. I talked to her a bunch. What do I do? What do I not do? And I just got advice from, all of these other veteran nonprofits. 
where are your pitfalls? Where are your successes? And so 2016, I started researching and it wasn't until 2017 that we became a 501c3. So it was about a year of fundraising. We put a lot of our own cash into it, much more than I thought was going to be needed <laughs> yeah. in the initial stage. Um, so find those lawyers that'll say, hey, I'll help you get your papers all turned in and make sure they're good. Because what we have found is people want to help. People want to give back. People want to support the military. And a lot of times people might not have money to do it, but they have expertise. They could be an accountant or a CPA or a lawyer or a graphic designer to do your logo. Just ask people like, hey, can you help? And I guarantee you, you will find people that want to be there for you. Have that plan. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Right. Get narrow. Get narrow. Narrow. Right. Be specific. Be specific. Narrow. narrow. <laughs> what do you want to do? Okay. How will you do that? All right. How do you pay to do that now? Okay. And then start thinking about bringing people in because that'll be the slow thing. Oh, yeah. social media. Everybody will see us. People are like, who are you guys again? What I'm like, no shit. Trust me. You, you they don't know. Um, they don't. They won't see you. They won't hear about you. And you're, and you're like, why, why is our phone not ringing off the hook? I know all these people need help, and our phone's not ringing off the hook for a while, until you go on Fox News or you have a big dump in social media, and then boom, you're like, oh, okay, we're overwhelmed now. So, yeah, but I was gonna say, be careful what you careful wish. What you, wish. <laughs> <laughs> you might get big fast. <laughs> but make sure you can support it. But you know, getting that money is the hard part. Asking people for money is hard. Um, Helping people takes money, right? It takes money and time. So treat it like a business. That's for it's, sure. It's, it is a business. Well, yeah. you run a nonprofit, and you make money. <laughs> I got to eat too, brother. We all got to eat. <laughs> nonprofit is a business, but the business doesn't make money. You take the money, yeah. put it back into helping people. But yeah, people make money in nonprofits. In they fact, have to work. that'll be my last piece of advice, and I'll stop. I've had a lot of coffee today, so I apologize. <laughs> the uh, find if you can find an admin donor. Um, we did that and it has totally changed our game. So we have someone who um, owns a very large business. And so he's a business guy and he understands this has to be run like a business in order for this to help and serve people long term. So he has come in as an anonymous donor and he supports our overhead. So that's huge. If you have someone that can help support your overhead and then you're fundraising to support your programs, um, it, it really takes a lot of the stress and pressure off. And yeah. there's a lot of people that want to support and do that too. Business people understand it takes business people to run a nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. If you tell somebody hundred percent of your money goes to help people because people are like, how much are you taking of my dollar to pay yourself? Sure, you should and, ask that. Which it's a good question. Yeah. For us, we can say hundred percent of your money goes to help people because we have an admin donor that pays our salaries and pays our admin costs. So every other penny that comes in goes directly back out to therapy, retreats um or any other you know um modality that helps people heal that's some very good advice and probably some things i'm going to take on board there because um i i decided to try and get a social media platform uh sharing stories and sharing advice first before i start looking at some sort of uh charity that i, I would love to set up to to help veterans and obviously people who are leaving the armed forces and transitioning to civilian life because that can also be quite a, a traumatic experience 100 percent agree and, and know who you <laughs> want to help you know you don't just open up and go we help everyone <laughs> you'll be broken in a second you know yeah go in and say we help you know whatever if you come from a unit we help people from this unit or we help only special ops or we help only army you know, people are like, why do you only help special operations? There's a lot, a lot it's of military money. members. We help all special operations, but we can't help all people. Right. You know, we don't just help Army or Air Force. We help all special operations 
and their families. I mean, that's pretty big in itself that's already. <laughs> People are like, well, why don't you help regular or, or well, conventional? We well, we need more and more and more money. Yeah. It's called the VA. I'm sorry, right? But there's other nonprofits. So we actually started and then have other resources as a nonprofit. If yeah. you do it, people still call you and you don't want to just go, sorry, and hang up because you, you won't be able to. No. You want, when we started, we helped everybody. So well, come on in, man. I don't care. And then your donors are like, wait a minute. <laughs> I gave you money for <laughs> this. Part You're of using your it for I'm like, I'm sorry. I want to help everybody. So we piled on all these resources. And if somebody calls, hey, I want some help. I need this and that. But I'm only regular, whatever. Okay, well, here's this, this, this. They'll help you. Call them right now. Here's a link and they'll send it back, you know. Yeah. Or we'll take them in and do one session with them with a coach find out what the deal is. And then the coach will say, here, you need this, 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 and here where they are locally. Here's who takes your insurance. Now, sorry, we're not allowed to help you anymore, but we got you going. Now the yeah. rest is up to you. Yeah. You, you're um, signposting them in the direction that, of help that they need rather than taking them on board, which right. is a sensible way of doing it, isn't it? Right. We don't want to say no, but we can't say no, yes to everybody. Insane. So, you know, no, but here's who can, you know, that way you're not lost still. Absolutely. Um, just to leave you with a, a couple of questions now before we close and enter the interview. Um, Tom, what advice from the person you are now would you like to give your younger self? Find that empathy and compassion as soon as you can. Yeah. You know, being a hard ass doesn't doesn't work everywhere. and. Uh, I'd, I'd have told myself to grab that empathy and compassion a lot sooner because you can still go to war and then come home and have empathy and compassion. But if you get rid of it, then you need empathy and compassion in war, right? You need it there, especially need it there. So losing it is a very, very bad thing. And then coming home without it is, is horrible. Um, so yeah, I would, I would have myself, I would tell everybody out there, don't give up on empathy and compassion. Don't beat other people up to build yourself up. You know, we, we, what where would we get? I don't know where we got that saying, but you know, to become the tallest skyscraper around, there's two ways to do it. You can build yourself taller, you can tear miles. everything else down around you to be the tallest one, I you know. And that's a scorched earth policy that we've lived, and it, it doesn't work. It works where you're at in combat, keeps you alive. So, yeah, keep your empathy and compassion. That's some good advice, uh, Jen. The question I'd like to put to you is. What advice would you give the spouse of somebody who might be noticing personality characteristic change in their, in their significant other? I think the best thing you could do is arm yourself with education. Um, really, for me, it started with reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And everything really changed for me once I started to understand the biology, the physiology, the, the, you know, the challenges that Tom was facing. And that drove more compassion into me when I understood like, oh, this is biological what's happening. Oh, the anger or the hypervigilance or the perfectionism. Oh, this is part of the injury, you know, even to the point of understanding um, part of the injury is saying things you don't mean to say the filter's broken. So, you know, I used to get really upset and every now, now it's a joke, like, oh, filter's broken clearly right now. I got to <laughs> change out that filter. You say some mean shit. Yeah. Man. So like arming <laughs> yourself um, with information helps you feel less isolated. Um, so there's several books out on the topic. There's tons of podcasts. You can join our group Parago for support, but don't shove it under the rug. It won't go away on its own. It doesn't get better when he retires or gets back from a deployment. In fact, it can get worse. So, um, if you're seeing those red flags, don't paint them green. They're red for a reason and you need to address them. Um, and if you're not comfortable doing it with your spouse, 
a lot of times we'll um, say, hey, get a good therapist that you trust um, and work with that therapist to have that conversation in a safe environment with somebody who can help you work through that. That sounds some really good advice. And I'll uh, post some links to um, Brago and, and the books you mentioned at the uh, bottom of the YouTube video and uh, on the Spotify description. So thank you very much for that. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant speaking to the pair of you. It's been brilliant to have the dynamic of, uh, you know, the husband and wife and how you've uh, absolutely changed each other's lives for the better. It's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Dan. Man, had a good time on this for sure. <laughs>